The following message was recorded Wednesday, September 27, 2023. Ezekiel 28 tells us that at the end, Israel will be blessed. How is that to happen? Pastor Rick covers Romans 9, 10, and 11 to show how Israel's rejection is not final. And now, here's Pastor Rick. All right, so we're back in Ezekiel. Where do we leave off last week? We left off somewhere last week, and we jumped off of there to somewhere else, and I said I would continue it this week. Very good, Christy. So if you go to Ezekiel 28, that's where we ended up. Ezekiel 28. Let me go there. And with Ezekiel 28, they were talking about the judgment of Tyre and Sidon. They were sister cities, and Tyre is likened unto the commercial center of the world at that time, which be very similar to the United States, particularly New York City. The prince of Tyre was whom? The actual civil leader, the king. But when Ezekiel is speaking, when he's prophesying judgment against these personalities, he first talks about the prince of Tyre, which is the actual physical civil ruler of Tyre. But then he talks about the king of Tyre. Who was the king of Tyre? Satan. That was the power behind the throne. That was Satan, right? And we talked about that for a while. And then he went on to talk about the judgment against Sidon. It would be similar to that of Tyre. They were sister cities, much like Sodom and Gomorrah, much like New York and San Francisco. (laughs) But, But then we talked about the fact that as he ends the chapter, he puts in this blessing for Israel in verse 25 and 26. You remember, do you have a heading in your Bible on verse 25 of chapter 28? Okay, one at a time. Future blessings. Israel regathered in security. Future blessings. Israel gathered. So when is this going to take place, what he's talking about here? We talked about it last week briefly. Which, which kingdom are the Jews waiting for presently? The Messianic Millennial Kingdom. And so that's what he's talking about. He's going way out into the future to the Messianic Millennial Kingdom, a thousand-year reign. It begins, chapter 28, verse 25. Thus says the Lord God, when I have gathered the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they were scattered, and I am hallowed in them in the sight of the Gentiles, then they will dwell in their own land which I gave to my servant Jacob, and they will dwell safely there. Build houses, plant vineyards. Yes, they will dwell securely when I execute judgments on all those surrounding, those uh, around them who despise them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Now, God glorifies himself by demonstrating his love, his grace, his mercy, but he also glorifies himself by demonstrating his judgment, his judgment, his wrath. Both glorify God, right? But we talked last week that if God were to not keep the promises he's made to the Jewish people, to Israel, if he were not to be faithful to those covenant promises he made to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then there's no reason why we, the body of Christ, should believe he's going to be faithful to us as well. But God is faithful, isn't he? And those promises that he made, the most important promises, just like the body, you know, the, the most important systems of the body to maintain your life are involuntary systems, right? What are some of the involuntary systems? Your heart, your lungs, your what? Your, your, yeah. <laughs> and if those don't function on a regular basis, right, 
we lose our life. And God doesn't put them in our control. Why doesn't he put them in our control? We, we'd be so stupid, we'd stop breathing. You, know? <laughs> you ever see a child pitch a fit, a tension, and they, and they hold their breath? Can't do it for very long, though, can they? No. That involuntary system takes over. <sighs> right? The most precious promises that God has made to Israel and the most precious of all promises that he's made to you and I are unilateral. They're promises that he makes, but there's no condition. He simply says, I will, I will, I will. Hmm? As when we get married and we make our, our marriage vows, our wedding vows, right? For better or for? In sickness and in? For richer and? To death do us part, right? And we make those vows, but they're unconditional. We're to love one another unconditionally and sacrificially. That's what marriage is all about. That's our relationship with the Lord. The Lord's relationship to Israel. The Lord's relationship to us. The body of Christ. Turn with me to Isaiah for a minute. There's so many scriptures we could turn to in the Old Testament where God has promised this future restoration of his people Israel. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. That's where we ended last week. But go to Isaiah chapter 54. Do you have a heading over chapter 54? The Messiah's promise of Israel's restoration, the eternal peace. Anybody else? I'm sorry? The fertility of Zion. Perpetual covenant of peace. Now, this is a peace that God affords to his people, the peace that God affords to Israel, the peace that God affords to us, We've talked about that peace many times. What is that, that shalom in the Hebrew, the irene in the, in the Greek, meaning the same thing? What is that peace? First is peace with God. We're, we're no longer enemies with God. We're no longer hostile towards God. But no, no, we're surrendering to God. We're in submission to God, and we yield to God. And then there is peace. Jesus Christ is the reconcile, reconciler between us and God the Father. And that's what peace means, is a reconciliation, a cessation of hostilities. And so we surrender to God. And then because we have now peace with God, we have the peace of God that comes upon us. How does that, in what form does that peace come upon us? In the person of the Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, no salvation. You can't be saved without being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings that peace to our heart, that settlement, that contentment, that assurance, right? That... uh, so many people hunger and thirst for so many things of this world. But when you really come to know the peace of Christ, peace with God, peace of God, you're settled. There's, a, there's an assurance, there's a, a, a tranquility, a comfort, a security that comes where, come with me, I'm the Lord's. And all things work together. All things, right? And so when those difficult things come, you can say, well, Lord, you've designed this for a reason. It must be for my maturity, for my Christ-likeness, right? So I can grow, be like Christ, like that little girl. Hmm? So we have peace with God, peace of God. And then as we mature and really surrender, and listen, there's no spectators in the body of Christ. Nobody is called to sit on the sidelines and do nothing. 
And so you need to discover what your calling is. What is it that God has you to, you know, listen, we all love our families. We all love our spouses, hopefully. <laughs> we all love our children, and we love it when they leave. <laughs> no, I cried when my son left. <laughs> but certainly, that's no different than anybody else, right? But our service to the Lord is something that is exceptional, that is sacrificial, that costs us something, and particularly of our time and our person. And so when you have that peace of, peace with, I mean peace of, and then the peace in God, you find your place where Paul would say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. I, I, I am who I am now by God's will. Having a conversation with a couple of fellows last night, uh, just talking about the differences that we all carry, you know, wasn't Paul a very different personality than John? Was not John a very, very different personality than Peter? But no two are the same, are they? And then we always have Thomas, and I know Dr. Chafee talked a little bit about Thomas the other night, but he'd always say, doubt it. <laughs> but each of us are very different, very uniquely created with our idiosyncrasies of temperament, personality, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. But God wants to use you just as you are. Be who you are for the glory of God. Don't try to be anybody else, but be yourself for the glory of God as the Holy Spirit works through you and in you, and whatever that might mean. Um, and some people take a stronger stand on issues because that's the conviction that God's placed upon their life and their heart. Other people may uh, not take a stronger stand, believing it would give them more opportunity to be a witness or an influencer. But you have to be true to who you are as God has fashioned you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Not everybody's going to have the same degree of boldness, uh, especially, uh, I know a lot of people are very uncomfortable witnessing out in public with a complete stranger, you know. I've never seemed to have that problem, uh, but I've always been very, very nervous and afraid of public speaking. You know, you probably wouldn't think that, but I do. My wife will tell you, every time I come up here, I'm, I'm very, I'm nervous. And uh, I'm, I know God's called me to do this, so I'm going to do it. And if I have to be a fool for Christ, I'll be a fool for Christ, right? So basically what I'm saying to you is, as we're beginning this message tonight, is who are you in the will of God, and are you actually doing what God has called you to do? Are you serving God, or, well, I don't want to leave here without knowing I've done all that he wanted me to do for his glory. Yes, I'm going to do a lot for my wife. Yes, I'm going to do a lot for my son. That's, that's my family. Of course, even the heathen does that. But we as believers now, it goes way beyond that, doesn't it? Now, God is going to describe his faithfulness to Israel. But here, he, he talks about in this, in this 54th chapter, how there's going to be a covenant of a perpetual, eternal, everlasting peace. Peace with God, peace of God, peace in God, that God affords his people. But it's only dependent upon what God has done. It's not dependent upon what they have done. Because you go through several chapters of where God is judging Israel because of their idolatry, because of their unfaithfulness, because of their hard-heartedness. But we're talking about God being faithful even when they are faithless. Verse 4 of the chapter, look at it. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth. You will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your, your maker is your husband, as the Lord is saying. You know, he called Israel his bride, right? 
He said, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken. Oh, boy, you don't think it would be more grievous, right, that a woman has been forsaken by her husband, and her husband leaves her, or vice versa, a woman leaves her husband? I can't imagine that kind of a, of a separation and betrayal and how painful it has to be. You know, we know what it's like to lose someone in death temporarily, but I can't even imagine what it would be like to lose someone because they walk away and violate the love relationship we have. And this is what God is saying here. Yes, you're like a woman forsaken, aggrieved in spirit, like a youthful wife who is refused, says the God, says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I, have, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Now God has had to judge Israel, but his judgment isn't permanent, right? His punishment, let's put it that way. Judgment can be eternal, can be permanent, but uh, punishment is temporary. And God is temporarily punishing Israel. Why is he punishing them? Yeah, they refuse. Now, who seeks after God? Who seeks after God? What does the Bible say? No one, not. Is that true? Was there a little bit of confusion when Dr. Chafee was sharing the other night? I hope there wasn't. How many of you are seeking after God right now? Everybody should raise their hand. I've been seeking after God for 43 years. Are you not seeking after God? How many of you are seeking after God right now? There you go. Now you're being honest. Okay? But no one seeks God apart from God initiating a relationship and calling you to seek him. Do you understand that? That's how you can process that. Where no one seeks God. No, not one. But then the promise is for all who seek the Lord. Well, and those blessings are given to those whom he initiates that relationship, and then you pursue him like a man would pursue a woman he's in love with. Hmm? And we pursue the Lord. Okay? But for a time, he forsook them. Turn with me to Hosea, chapter 6. Daniel, Hosea. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. And we could go to many scriptures in the Old Testament to substantiate, verify this fact that God has placed a temporary punishment upon Israel. I, uh, Hosea 6, Hosea chapter 6. God has, has placed a temporary punishment upon Israel, but he's going to lift that punishment. He himself is going to do that. And that's what we're going to talk about in more detail as we go back into Romans. We covered chapter 9 last week. That was the rejection of the Messiah by Israel. They rejected their own Messiah. They didn't see him where he really was. And we'll go into chapters 10 and 11 as Paul is explaining that even further. But here in Hosea chapter 6, uh, you have a t title over the chapter by any chance? Now, those titles weren't in the original manuscripts. We know that. There were no chapter or verse distinctions in the manuscripts. They just flowed. But they put these titles in those chapters to help us understand a little bit better. Do you have a title there? In chapter 6 of Hosea. Okay. Israel and Judah unrepentant. A call to repentance. They were unrepentant, but now God's calling them to repentance. Anybody have something different? I can't hear you. Hmm? A response to God's rebuke, okay? Anybody else? 
Remnant in the last days. That's very good. That's, that's good. I like that. That's exactly what this is, what Hosea is going to describe for us, the remnant that God is going to bring about, and it's the very remnant that Paul is going to remind us of in Romans, the Jews that are going to come to faith after he has punished them for a little while, for a little moment, but his mercy will be everlasting. That's what we just read in Isaiah 54. Well, look what it says here in Hosea 6. Come, let us return to the Lord. What is that word, to return to the Lord? Teshuvah. Teshuvah. We just, we just went through the Day of Atonement, right? When was that? Yom Kippur? Saturday night. It began Sunday night. And ended Monday. Right. One day. Now, what did, they, what did the Jews do 40 days prior to the Day of Atonement? Teshuvah. And it simply means to return unto the Lord. So, so some of them do a fast, a partial fast, but they return in their hearts to the Lord. Focusing on the Lord. Now, the last 10 days of that teshuva prior to the Day of Atonement, what do they call that? The Days of Awe. The Days of Awe. And that's what they just completed, the Days of Awe. But basically, this is what Hosea, the Lord through Hosea, is calling out for the people to do. Come, let us teshuva, let us return unto the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. So God purposed the punishment that came upon them to this very day, to this very day. But he considers it very momentary. As Paul would talk about the afflictions and the sufferings and the trials that exist in this life, he'd say, but those momentary light afflictions are not to be compared to what? Eternal weight of glory. glory. Yeah, yeah. And that's what awaits us. So any temporary suffering that we go through in this life is just that. It's just so temporary. Nothing to be compared to what lies ahead in eternity. Well, that's basically what he's saying here. I, he said, I have torn you, but will heal you. I have stricken you, but will bind you up. This is the promise that's being made in Ezekiel 28, verses 25 and 26, the millennial messianic kingdom of blessing. But here he says, chapter 2, I mean, excuse me, verse 2, chapter 6. After two days, he, Jesus, will revive us. Who's the us? Israel. The us is Israel. He's talking about the restoration of Israel. He's going to call them to repentance. He's going to cause them to turn their hearts back to him. He said, after two days, I will re- he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we might live in his sight. Now, there's no way to understand this prophecy in this text because it doesn't talk about two literal days or one literal day, does it? Now, the only way we can understand it is that Psalm 90 refers to a thousand years as a, and a day as a, and Peter gives us an interpretation of that in Second Peter, right? So if we understand that these two days are 2,000 years and that other single day is 1,000 years, then what might he be referring to? The, the first two days, the church age. The 2,000 years of the church age is what we're in right now, right? It's, it's been almost 2,000 years or two days that Israel has been afflicted. They have been torn, wounded, but he will heal them. Now, on the third day, he will raise them up and they will dwell in his sight. What's going to happen after the fullness of the Gentiles has come in? the millennial reign of Jesus Christ after a short period of tribulation, seven years. But then you'll have the millennial reign of Jesus Christ for a thousand years. So that's what he's referring to here. The two days in which we call this the church age. That's a break in time between Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. 
It's a long break, about 2,000 years, this current church age. And we're going to talk more about that as we get into Romans chapter 10. But this is what I want you to understand. God is keeping his covenant promises to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, etc. And God will keep every promise he's made to you and I too, won't he? Yeah. All right. So now go with me to Romans. And we'll spend the rest of our time in Romans. Any questions I want to cover so far? Any, anything you don't understand that I can make a little more understandable for you? Great. That's a good thing. So last time we were together when we went through chapter 9, how would you sum up chapter 9? Election. Basically, God, God is saying in chapter 9 that, well, what the Word of God is telling us and Paul is writing on behalf of God is that God had predetermined or predestined the rejection of the Messiah by Israel. In chapter 9, if you look, uh, verse 15, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion, so that it is not him who wills, it's not by your desire or your longing, nor is it him who runs, it's not by your works, but of God who shows mercy, right? For the scripture says that Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be glorified in all the earth. So God is going to be glorified, and his power is going to be demonstrated, his majesty, through the judgment of Pharaoh. He rose Pharaoh up for that very reason. How do you process the fact that God is not willing that any should perish? That's what, and doesn't the Bible say that? God is not willing that any should perish. Do any perish? Do more perish than are saved? Yes, we know that. Jesus told us that. Per, listen, perfect love. Perfect love said, wide is the gate, broad is the way. That leads to death and destruction, and many shall enter therein. Perfect love said, narrow is the gate, straight and difficult is the way, and Okay, okay, so he's not willing that any perish. Do any perish? Do, do many perish? Do more perish than not? So how do you understand that? How do you process that? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have become rebellious. All have become stiff-necked. The ox knows its master's crib. Israel doesn't know their God. Every single human being that's ever lived on the, on the face of the planet, ever born after our original parents, Adam and Eve, they were born in natural sin. And that natural sin causes them to demonstrate that sin in their rebelliousness and their hard-heartedness against God and against his authority in their life. We're rebels. Now, I hope every one of you recognize the rebel that you are, the rebel that existed in you, particularly alive and well, all right, wild branch <laughs> before your salvation. But God chooses to save some. Amazing that he would do that. That's the way is so, is that our grace is so amazing as we sing. That God would save anyone. That why any good thing would happen to us such bad people. Right? 
But anyway, here in chapter 9, it's, it's, it's the rejection of the Messiah by Israel. Not in total. There were those who received him, right? But they were few in number. But he, he's going to go on to explain to us the purpose for all of that. And that, in fact, Israel needs the gospel. They cannot win acceptance before God by their works. You can't work your way to heaven. Nor by desire, nor by your will, nor by your works or your performance. Okay? You, you can't do it. But that's what they were trying to do. God gave them the law as a tutor, as a master, a schoolmaster, to drive them to Christ. But they saw themselves as being able to keep the law. Impossible. But let's pick it up. Chapter 10 and uh, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Now, Paul better understands election or predestination better than anyone, but it doesn't prevent him from praying for all of Israel. Why? Because he doesn't know. He doesn't know who the elect are, nor do I. I have to bear witness to the glory of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel everywhere I go because I have no idea who the Holy Spirit may be working on. And this was Paul's heart. Remember what he said in chapter 9, verse 1, what did he say? I tell you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. Well, we hope you wouldn't lie, Paul. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brother and my countrymen according to the flesh. Is that possible? Paul can't die for anybody's salvation. Can you die for anybody's salvation? Can you save anybody? Your works? No, no. But here, Paul had such a heart of love for his brethren and wanting them to come to salvation. And isn't that true? The number of people that we know, especially our loved ones that are not in Christ and their life is so difficult. You know, knowing the Lord and following the Lord's will, it's such a simple matter, isn't it? Simple matter to understand, isn't it? But what's the problem? It's so difficult to do. Why is it so difficult to do? Because we're not completely yielded to the Spirit of God. To allow Christ to be formed in us. To allow the peace of God to reign over us, control us, right? I, b I believe that where God's sovereignty is displayed more evident than any place else is in our justification, our salvation. That's, that's a forensic term where God looks at you and he says, Andrew, holy. I declare you holy. That's what God said. Now, are you holy? No. All I have to do is call, call Caitlin. I'll find out. You're not holy. <laughs> but God reckons you holy. Why? Because you're in Christ. And who did that? He did. Author and finisher of our faith. Right? The initiator. The first cause. The sustaining cause. The last cause is God. Right? Now, now that's God's free, that's God's sovereignty. Where your free will comes into play, Andrew, now is now you have the Holy Spirit working within you. Now you need to cooperate, humble yourself, submit yourself, surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit in what we call sanctification. Justification is an acquired holiness where you're just declared holy. Sanctification is a progressive holiness where the Holy Spirit's actually working in and through my life, making me like Christ, making me a better person. You're the most wonderful Christian I've ever met. Now, that, that's only due to Christ, what anybody would say. You know, any good thing abideth in us, it's Christ in us, right? Yeah, so we have that, that declared righteousness in justification, the sovereign work of God. We have that progressive righteousness in sanctification where we're working in concert, in, in harmony with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, the much, as, wherever you say no, you're hindering your sanctification, your Christ-likeness, that whole process. As soon as you get stiff-necked, as soon as you stamp your feet, you no. Now, it doesn't mean you're not saved, but you're not going to progress very far. And, and let me tell you something. My experience in 43 years, he won't move on to some other issue. He just won't do that. Once he puts his finger on one issue, he's going to stay there until you submit. Hmm? It's like a heavenly shock collar, you know? You start going at, mm. <laughs> the last, The last step in that, when it's all done, thank you, Lord Jesus, is we, what we call glorification, right? And our glorification is when we're actually in the state of righteousness. Hallelujah. We're in that new body that Dr. Chafee was talking about Sunday. New heaven and there. We're going to get a new body. I am so thankful. Oh, boy. P.O.D. this morning. You know P.O.D.? Pain of the day. Woke up with it this morning again. Pain of the day. It's always a pain in some different part of my body. As you get older, you know, it, just, it just happens, you know? But one day I'm going to wake up. Not here. I'm going to wake up there. Oh, am I going to feel good. I'm going to feel better than I've ever felt in my life. Hmm? A declared righteousness, a progressive righteousness through the work of the Spirit, and then actually being in the state of righteousness. Wow. Can you imagine? No, you can't. Now, I think it's wonderful that in chapter 8 of Romans, where Paul talks about... Go back to chapter 8 for a minute. It's good for you to see this. You reckon? He talks about the Spirit making intercession for us. Chapter 8, verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, for whom he also foreknew. God's foreknowledge. God knows what he's doing, right? He what? Predestined, predetermined, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, what do we all call all that also? What's the other term for predestination? Election, whom he elected, right? God chose. Nobody else chooses. Nobody else gets the vote. God gets the vote. How many people do you know would never vote you into the kingdom? <laughs> Before your salvation, that is, right? But God chose, God elected, God voted. Look, whom he predestined, these he also called, Kaletos, wooed you unto himself. Those whom he called, he what? Justified. What's justification? What kind of a righteousness is that? A declared righteousness. It, it just doesn't, you don't actually obtain righteousness. He declares you righteous because you're in his son. Justification, justified, just as if you've never sinned. Justified. And those whom he justified, these he what? Wow, you're actually in a state of righteousness. One day I'm going to be holy writ. <laughs> holy cow. Can you imagine such a thing? Now, wait a minute. Do we forget something? We forgot sanctification. Why is that? Because it's a done deal. Paul says we're already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You think you're here. You're not here. You're there. In God's mind and heart. When Jesus got in the boat, he said, we're going over to the other side. What do you think was going to happen? They were going over to the other side, right? Yeah. Philippians 1, 6, what is it? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's a done deal. 
Now, right now, we, that's the biggest struggle we have, isn't it? With our sanctification. The biggest struggle we have is wrestling that, that rebellious, self-carnal, fleshly will of yours and surrendering it to God's will and through the person of the Holy Spirit. Before you had no opportunity to do that. You were slave to sin. Now we have that opportunity. Now we, we can just surrender and yield. But, but there... Paul wants you to be so assured of your salvation, he goes right from justification to glorification. And he skips this whole struggle we have in this life, harnessing this flesh. Hmm? The flesh. It's the flesh. When does the flesh say enough? When does the fire say enough wood? Never. The flesh never satisfied. Yeah, they're within, and it's just, it's a, it's a continual surrender and a yielding. You know, you you know, listen. You got to have a procedure. Now you can't eat or drink anything after midnight. And oh, by the way, your procedure is not till noon. Wait a minute. I can't eat or drink anything after midnight, and my procedure is not till noon. This is cruel and unusual punishment. What about my coffee? You don't want to know me without coffee, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a Christian drug, coffee. You know. Well, wait a minute, that's, that's, that's an act of self-denial. And you can do that very reasonably, right? Jeff, do you, you fast every Yom Kippur? I try. You try to. Very good. Yeah, that's a good Jewish boy that you are, right? Yeah, but it requires self-discipline. It requires a determination, mind over the body, over the flesh and the fleshly desires. But you have the Holy Spirit working within you in concert to give you that power. Well, you can resist. You can say no. Previous to that, you couldn't do that. But now, amen. But isn't it wonderful that your salvation, the whole enchilada is justification, sanctification, glorification. Your salvation is a done deal. You're saved now and you can't lose what God's given you. It's a gift from God. Okay, back to Romans 10. And if you have any questions, please just stop me and ask. Okay, what is it? The unpardonable sin is the rejection of the witness of the Holy Spirit with regard to the person of Christ. Can someone reject the witness of the Holy Spirit truly when the Holy Spirit is revealing himself to them? No. So, that, but that's the unpardonable sin, if you continue to reject the witness. Now, Israel rejected the witness of God throughout the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament, right? But the, the Holy Spirit is witnessing of Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes, or you're rejecting the witness of the existence of Psalm 19. What is that all about? Uh, Creation declares the glory of God, right? The firmament, his handiwork. So what can be known of God has already been witnessed, right? So do we or do we not have to believe in our heart, confess in the mouth that Christ is Lord, and be saved? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But he puts that in your mind and heart to begin with. We're going to talk about that. Hold that thought. <laughs> For I bear witness, look what he says here, chapter 10, verse 
one, he said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that all of Israel will be saved. But he knows that prayer's not going to be answered. No, that's not God's will. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God. What does that mean? They're, they're, they're the intoxicated people of God. They're intoxicated with God. They're obsessed with God. They're, they're just so zealous for God. But without knowledge, he says, without full knowledge of understanding the will and the purpose and the way of God. Now, we see that today. There's a lot of people who have a zeal for God, a passion for God, emotionally approaching God, but without knowledge, what do we call that? It's fanaticism. They act more like religious nuts than spiritual fruit, right? That's what supposed to be. But if you have knowledge and no zeal, no passion, no desire, no love for God, then you're stone cold, right? Frozen chosen. Either extreme is, is not right. Right? But what is he saying here? I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, the full knowledge. Now, wait a minute. Who is Paul talking about? Who else might he be talking about? Who? Who else might he be talking about? Himself. His former life. Remember? Saul of Tarsus? On the Damascus Road, he got... He got Slain by the Holy Spirit, right? His conversion, his transformation. He was, was he seeking God? Was he seeking Jesus? He was doing just the opposite. He thought he was zealous for God. He was doing the will of God because he was stamping out this Nazarene heresy that started. These people, they're crazies, worshiping this guy from Nazareth as if he's the Messiah. Everybody knows the Messiah will not come from Nazareth. Where would he be born? Well, that's where he was born, wasn't he? Yeah. Amazing. The son of David. But he had a zeal for God, but not according to full knowledge. But then, when the Holy Spirit came upon Paul, and Ananias prayed for him, and his eyes were opened, wow! Then all of the pieces started to come together. He's connecting all the... Isn't that what happened to you? I can remember after my salvation, I, my mind was so confused with so many other ideas, ideologies, thoughts, but all of a sudden God came into my life, and Everything started to make sense. It was, I'm sorry? You blame him. It just, everything was so simple to understand now. And not only was it so simply sweet, but life became the same. It was so easy to correct all of the wrongs that were made, to start on that right path as he was empowering and instructing and changing. Yes, they had zeal, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted to the righteousness of God. Who was the righteousness of God? Jesus. And how were they offering their own righteousness? Through the law. Through the law. He goes on to say in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You can't keep the law. If you're going to go by the law, then you have to 100% of the time obey 100% of the law. Who's able to do that? No, I went to court today because I can't do that. <laughs> you know, I had a ticket. I had a ticket. I had a ticket here. <laughs> I'm a lawbreaker. What's new? The Bible's told me that for a long time now. 43 years, I'm a lawbreaker, right? But thank God for grace. Yeah. I'm just, I guess I'm confessing here. Yeah. For Moses writes about righteousness, which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. 
Now, this is what he's saying. You know, if you're going to keep the law, you've got to keep 100% of the law, and you've got to keep it 100% of the time, which is absolutely impossible. But somehow they had deceived themselves in believing they could. But the righteousness of faith speaks this way, verse 6, Do not say in your heart who will ascend unto heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Christ has already died for you. Christ was crucified, Christ was buried, Christ was raised from the dead. Hallelujah! He's accomplished the fulfillment of the law on our behalf. Doesn't have to happen anymore. What happened in the veil of the temple? It was torn in two. Why? Because now we have direct access to God through Christ Jesus, our mediator, right? That sacrifice. Well, what does it say? Verse 8. The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we speak. Listen, it's, it's a simple truth. It's right here. And this is what he was saying to them. It's, it's right. It's so obvious. Now, it was obvious to him then because, listen, the natural man cannot discern the things of the spirit for they are spiritually discerned. This is what Paul wrote in Corinthians. So a natural man or woman can't understand these things. It doesn't make any sense to them. It's not so simple. But boy, when you're saved in the Holy Spirit, then the spiritual man can discern all things. And, and now it becomes so simple. Absolutely. Of course. Of course. So many questions I had. When God gives you the answer, you only have a two-word response. Of course. Of course. The word is near. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, that, that's our responsibility. That, only, that, that responsibility of man only can be executed when the sovereignty of God in election brings you to that place of understanding. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, what does it say? For by grace... You've been saved through that on of your own, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, charisma, was that's a grace, a grace gift of faith, to believe, right? And the belief isn't just intellectual assent. The belief is to surrender your life, to entrust yourself to. But that's a gift from God, that faith. And it's not based upon your works. Otherwise, you'll save yourself. Oh, you were so smart. You were so wise. Oh, you were so understanding in all things that you came to God. Mm -mm. Didn't work that way. You can't. No, I, I agree with that. Now there are people who disagree. John chapter six. Chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Is that true? Yeah. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Now he's talking to the Pharisees. All that the Father gives me, all that the Father gives me, who is he talking about? People. People. All that the Father gives him. Jews, Gentiles, all that the Father causes to give. Now, do you understand what you are in Christ's life? You're a gift. Every, listen to me. You're a gift. Every one of us are a gift from the Father to the Son. Isn't that wonderful? And, and what is this gift that he's given to the Son? 
And in 2008, I went down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I said to Joe Bazendi, I want your daughter as a gift. I want to marry your daughter. And he said, yes, of course. Take her off my hands, please. No. <laughs> but you're a gift from your father to me, right? What a precious gift. Yeah, I asked for permission to be able to marry her. We are a gift from the Father to the Son. This is what he's saying here. It's amazing, isn't it? That he would consider us a gift to his Son. All that the Father gives me, verse 37, will come to me, and the one who comes to me, well, I lose about 10%. Is that what he said? What does it say? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Okay, explain that verse to me. I didn't understand anything you said right now. Yeah. No. No, it's impossible for you to come to him unless the Father draws you. That's what it says. Keep reading. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me. Who did this? That of all he has given me, I should lose, but raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me. Of everyone who sees me, sees the Son, and believes in him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Uh, verse 43, Jesus therefore answered them and said, Do not murmur amongst yourselves. You too, Deborah. Verse 44, No one can come to me unless... And I will raise him up in the last day. Is that what it says? I mean, what, what does it mean? Interpret it. It means that nobody can come to Jesus except the Father draw them. I'm sorry, I can't make any excuses about this, and I don't make any apologies for it. I, 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 don't, know why, I don't know why he's chosen me. I don't know why he's chosen you, but I am eternally grateful, and I want to show that gratitude right now in my living. And believes on me. Right, right, he left that out. He left that out. That's my particular belief. I believe that your free will applies in your sanctification. My struggle for 43 years has not been in recognizing Jesus has saved me. It's me yielding to the Holy Spirit to act, to become the person he wants me to be. Be holy as your Father in heaven is, is, is holy. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, we know he's not talking about a perfection of relationship. That's impossible. The Jews couldn't do it. I can't do it. But what's he talking about? A perfection of a relationship where I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you? Now, you know. You and God know. If there's anything or anyone that you love more than you love God, he knows and you know. That's the problem. Okay? But that's what he's asking for. And, and, and when, listen, and you know that that's not true. You know there's something else or someone else. Could be your kids, your grandkids. Could be your husband. No, no, could be anybody, you know, that you love more than you love Jesus. You need to confess that. You need to own it, and you need to ask him to help you. Set me free, Lord, so that I can love you first and foremost. So you can be first in my heart, Lord. We wouldn't have half of the compromise that exists in the church today. How many, how many people in the church are compromising over the, the lifestyle of their kids or their grandkids or, or whoever? They fear them more than they fear God. And, and Jesus said that to them. You, you, honor, you honor your families. Hey, if you don't 
Love me more than mother, father, brother, sister, son, or daughter. You're not worthy of being my disciple, he said. Wow, that's, that's a heavy commitment, isn't it? But what do we owe him? My wife didn't die for me. My son didn't die for me. My parents didn't die for me. There's only one who died for me and rose again, right? And that's where my master passion should be. You know, they had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. Jesus is to be. The only legal obsession in this life is Jesus Christ. And they'll call you a Jesus freak because you're going to love Jesus more than they do, right? And that's okay. We need to hurry on. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Why the heart and not the head? I'm in verse 10 of chapter 10, Romans. Romans 10, 10. Romans 10, 10. We're back in Romans, yeah. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Why the heart and not the head? You're not speaking anywhere near loud enough. Really? Right. Right. And, and the heart is really the control center. Not, now, we're not talking about the organ that's beating in your chest. We're talking about the control center of who you are. How, how is it that such smart men, intelligent men, do such stupid things? And then they get caught. And you think to yourself, how? Why? Why? Because those, desi- those inappropriate desires of the heart will trump reason 100% of the time. You've got to be careful. Believe in your heart. There are things my heart believes I can't process with my head. Right? And as you said, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. When it goes down into your heart, your life's changed. You're not going to be the same person. He wants your heart. Hmm. Verse 11, the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Never, never will anyone ever say, I'm so ashamed I put my trust in him. He let me down. No one ever. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is rich over all who call upon him, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So as God is fathers working on those, and all they have to do is cry out to God, and he's no Respecter of persons, he shows no partiality, doesn't matter Jew or Gentile. That salvation is rich to all, is what he's talking about. Now, how then shall they call upon him who have they not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And, they know, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Peace with God, peace of God, peace in God, who bring glad tidings of good things. What is this word preach or preacher? Billy Graham. You put Billy Graham, did you? Yeah. You know the word here in the Greek? Caruso. Caruso. Right? He's singing, he's singing the gospel. Caruso. That's the word here, Caruso. Yeah. Caruso. You got to have a preacher. He said, listen, faith comes by Hearing by the word of God. This is what he's going on to say in 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? 
And verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But I say, they have not heard. Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. What can be known of God in creation is his manifold power, his majesty, his genius. And that's what he's talking about. He's quoting from Psalm 19, that, that creation itself bears witness of God. And you don't have to look at the cosmos. You don't have to look at the world. All you have to look at is the human body, fearfully and wonderfully made. This is, it's just an amazing machine that God has created, right? Wow. And it could not have evolved. There's processes and systems that all have to be working together for them to function. They couldn't evolve over time. You know, he couldn't just be adding piece parts along the way. All the parts had to be there as a whole. Hmm? Verse 19, but I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provide, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Who's provoking who? The Gentile nations are provoking the Jews. The Jews rejected their Messiah, but we're going to find out in chapter 11 that the rejection of the Messiah was predetermined by God for the salvation of the rest of the world. And then God saved the rest of the world to bring the Jews to jealousy to bring them. Wow, how amazing. Hmm? Verse 20, but Isaiah is very bold saying, I, found by, I was found by those who did not seek me. What does that mean? They weren't seeking him. He sought them. Paul wasn't seeking him. He sought Paul. I was found by those who did not seek me. I was manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient, contrary people. God had chosen Israel to represent him to the rest of the world, and they chose not to. But he allowed that. God's sovereign will, right? God works out his will permissively or actively. He can actively bring things about, or permissively, he just allows them to happen. So he, he allowed that natural sinful desire to go ahead and carry itself forth in the rejection of their own Messiah. But he saved a few, didn't he? But Israel, he says, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient country. How did he do that? How did he stretch out his hands? No, no, this is long before the cross. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about Israel. He's talking about the rejection of Israel. By the, what, what is the whole book of Jeremiah? If you're going to sum up Jeremiah, what does it mean? What is the, what is the book? Return to me. That's all God's saying over and over and over again in the book of Jeremiah. Return unto me. Return unto me, and I will return unto you. Draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. I will heal you. But they wouldn't. They refused. That's what the, all the prophets were calling them, to return to the Lord, to Teshuvah, to turn around, turn your heart, turn your life back to God. Chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Has God rejected Israel now? How many, what, how many evangelicals today believe in replacement theology? That's from the devil. Replacement theology is from the devil. It began with covenant theology. Believing that somehow the church has replaced all the promises that God gave to Israel. Now, we're the new Israel of God. Is that true? No, and Paul, Paul's coming against that completely. But yet we see anti-Semitism growing. Why? Because we know who has, who's in control of this world right now. The whole world lies in the sway of the evil one. And this, this whole anti-Semitism and, and this gender dysphoria, I mean, all of these things that are taking place, it's, it's manifestation of the doctrine of demons. 
Do you not understand that? You believe in extraterrestrials? No. Do you believe in interdimensional beings? Yes. The Bible describes interdimensional beings. What are they? How many dimensions are there? The physicists believe, you know, I don't have the mind to understand a lot of what I read, but I understand a little bit of enough to know. They're, they're claiming that in this world that we live in right now, there's over at least how many dimensions? Ten. At least ten dimensions. Now, we live in one of them. But there are interdimensional beings who can go from one dimension to the other. You know, Jesus in his resurrected form, right? They're all in the upper room. He's not there and suddenly he appears. And then suddenly he's gone. What is going on? The appearance of angels. Now, now that's child's play in the spiritual realm as far as God is concerned. But to you and I, hey, wow, it's mind-boggling. I do believe in interdimensional beings. I don't believe in extraterrestrial. There's, there's no one who's coming from a distant galaxy far, far away. You know, no, they're right here. They're, they're right now here, occupying the dimension that they're in, as we're in the dimension we're in now. Why do we go there? Certainly not. He hasn't cast away his people. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. He's, been, he's using himself as a proof text. Listen, I'm saved. He hasn't cast away the Jews. I'm a Jew. He saved me, didn't he? God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, I alone am left. They're all idolaters. There's such an apostasy. They're all falling away, God. And Jezebel's after me. She's controlling that wicked little pipsqueak Ahab. And now I'm running for my life. I'm your prophet, but now I'm in fear and terror of this woman. And I alone am left. And it was an age of apostasy. Remember we talked about that. Who was the king in the southern kingdom? Joseph? Fat? Good guy, bad guy? No, no, no. Joseph was a good guy. See, he was a righteous guy. He was a good guy. But he had a little weakness. He liked to go visit Ahab, the king of Israel. You had the northern kingdom and southern kingdom, right? You had the northern kingdom of Israel, you had the southern kingdom of Judah, capital Jerusalem, northern kingdom of Israel, capital Samaria. Ahab was in Samaria, was in Samaria with his queen, the wicked witch Jezebel. And Josephat, on occasion, went to go see Ahab. It wasn't a good thing to do. Why? He was exposed to evil. It would, listen, there's no kiddies here. It would be, listen, it would be like going to visit the Playboy Mansion. There was such blatant immorality, okay? I told you last week, you got to be very, very careful what you expose yourself to. Yeah, of course, you know, anything that's sexually immoral pornographic. But what about evil? Now, there, there are some things that, that some people are, are encouraging believers to watch you shouldn't be watching. You, you, know, you keep yourself as innocent as possible of the knowledge of evil. What God wants you to know is good, 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 good. That's all. He wants you to be mature when it comes to righteousness and immature when it comes to evil or wickedness or the darkness. If you have any kind of a curiosity or a draw towards the occult side of things, pray to God that he takes that away completely. 
Stay away from that. You'll never be able to be exposed to it without it having some effect on your life. You understand that? Consider Elijah, right? Afraid, terrorized now of this wicked, evil woman. And Israel was in apostasy. I mean, they were, they were so idolatrous, embracing all of the false gods of the pagan peoples around them. You know, because of their obsession with materialism. Stuff. We need more stuff. I need to build bigger garages. I need to get more storage space. Why? Oh, we need to have a garage sale so I can sell the stuff I barely use to buy more new stuff. You know, nobody, it's true, isn't it? I mean, you, don't you love garage sales? You get everybody's new stuff that they bought for no reason at all, you know? Just, just to buy it. Just to be happy. I feel so great when I buy, buy, buy. Charge, charge, charge. That's the worship of Baal. Baal. Now, Baal wasn't any god at all, but there was a demonic force behind Baal, the obsession of materialism, wealth, right? But he had a consort. What was her name? Ashtoreth, Ashtar, right? And, and that was the goddess of fertility. So, so if you were promiscuous, if you wanted to engage in all kinds of sexual immorality, the god says, no, it won't benefit you. It won't be any good at all. No, but you would worship Ashtoreth. Now, Ashtoreth was no god at all. Diana and the little statues of Diana, they were not gods. But there was a demonic force behind them. And then when you have uh, people who are involved in so much of uh, this sexual promiscuity, what naturally is the result? Children. Pregnancies. But we have a medical procedure that saves people thousands of dollars. <laughs> Dr. No, it's terrible. Now, abortion. We use abortion today, but then they've sacrificed the metofet, right, to Molech. That garbage dump was one of the places they talked about. Hinnon Valley, Valley Tofet. Now, now the, the, Molech was nothing but the demonic force behind Molech, causing them to sacrifice their children. Look at how we're sacrificing our children today. In the name of sexual pleasure. Perversion. And the last step in that digression, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be with the return of the Son of Man, there was an unhealthy obsession with the occult, an interest in the dark side of things, a curiosity, a draw. No, beloved, no. And so then they began to worship Nemash. Who was Nemash? Satan, the god of the underworld. Satan. So, listen, they're, they're, they're idols. They're nothing but the demons behind them. Now, listen to me. The reason why we're having the problems we're having today, and globally, and in our culture, when the go west, young man, go west. Who said that to who? The Holy Spirit said that to Paul. We'll read that in the book of Acts, right? You want to go to Macedonia? No, you're going you're to go west. And then Lydia, lovely Lydia, the lady of purple. And, and then the gospel was opened up to Europe and from Europe to here to America. And so what had happened was all of the dark forces of evil had, got, had become restrained, pushed back. Why? By the reception of the gospel. When the gospel was received, in, look at the difference between what happened in the Far East, in Asia, as, composed, as compared to what happened in Europe and then in North America. Why? Because of the reception of the light. The darkness had to flee. But where the light wasn't received, right? Thomas went to India and they killed him. The gospel never went to, it never produced any fruit in India. No. Look how dark it became. 
300 million gods, rat gods, snake god, monkey god, elephant god. Crazy. But where the light was resisted, it just became darker and darker. But where the light was received, the darkness had to flee. Now, that's what happened for a long time. Europe, the United States, Americas. But now what's happened? Those demonic forces, they've been re-invited into the culture. They, they've got a foothold in. Listen, our culture is lost. It's gone apart from Jesus Christ's intervention. Do you understand that? We're no different than they were. Apostate Israel. And Elijah said, I'm alone. I alone am left. And what did God say? What was the divine response? I have a remnant, my elect. Look what it says. Paul uses himself as an example, and now he's using this remnant. Lord, they have killed your prophets, torn down your altars. I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men. Perfect number, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm chapter 11 of Romans and verse 4. you want to stay after class, I can go over it with you. <laughs> what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So what's he talking about there? What was that remnant? The remnant who, of Jews who would believe in the first century there. Paul was one of them. Name some others. Peter, James, John, the whole... The whole group of apostles, they were Jews, Josephus, Nicodemus, and many others of the Pharisees, right? So he's saying that, that God has reserved for himself a remnant even now. Look at verse 5 now. Even so, at this present time, there is a remnant according to... According to what? According to what? What does that mean? Interpret that for me. Who voted? God voted. <laughs> now listen, I'm sorry. I don't apologize for it. Do I understand it all? No. No. Who, who has the mind of God? His thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. But I, am I thankful? Yes. What does Spurgeon say? Spurgeon says, don't wrestle with it. Rest in it. When you go in the gate, it's going to say, for whosoever will, call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Now who are the for whosoever wills? Then you look around in the backside of the gate, he's going to say, for you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and elected you before the foundation of the world that ever come into existence. Wow. I'm only a for whosoever will because I was the elect. And so were you. Now, I, I just need to, what do I need to pray for my family, my lost family and friends? Lord Jesus, please. Please bless them with the grace, gift of faith to believe. Open their eyes, open their mind, open their heart to the truth, to your love, Lord. Amen. Ten more minutes. Let's see. We can do this. Even so, at this present time, there is a remnant according to, the elect, according to election of grace. You know there's a remnant now? You know there's a difference between the body of Christ. She's the elect. She's that gift that God the Father is giving to the Son, the body of Christ, and as opposed to Christendom, right? D-U-M-B, dumb, right? And, and Jesus spoke about the mystery kingdom, Matthew 13, over and over again, and the kingdom of heaven shall be like. And he's talking about that present age, the age we're in we're now, false believers, 
true believers, false doctrine, true doctrine, etc., etc. The wheat and the tares all growing up at the same time. And, and we have a plurality, we have a myriad of make-believers today claiming to be Christian and are not. Why? Because you listen with your eyes and things don't add up the way they live their life. It's all about whose will. Theirs and not God's. But let me, let me listen. There's always, always, always been a remnant. And you want God to confirm for you, to validate in your heart that you're the remnant. It's a good place to be, isn't it? Yeah. For if by grace, then, it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it's works, then it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have attained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it's written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear to this very day. Who's he talking about? Israel. He determined that. Well, and David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Why? Why? Because they're trying to receive acceptance before God by their works. The table, the blessing that God would give them, the provision of righteousness. First and foremost, it was simply by believing the promises of God in the whole sacrificial system. The system didn't save you. It was the promise of the son of promise to come that would save them. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as justified, reckoned, declared righteous because he believed God. In the Old Testament, you could receive righteousness by believing the promises of God with regard to the fulfillment of the promised son to come. Now, you obeyed the sacrificial system because it all spoke of Jesus, didn't it? All of the sacrifices, the peace offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering, all of them represented Christ and his ultimate sacrifice. They were simply a type, a symbol, sign of he was the substance and the reality. And if you believe that, yet to come, looking forward to that, you receive righteousness. Now we, we look back at it and say, yes, it was the fulfillment. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles, right? Now, uh, Peter gave his sermon on Acts chapter 3. Turn there really quickly. God could not allow Israel to accept Jesus as the Messiah, as a nation in total. Why? Because then salvation would never come to the rest of the world, which was his desire. God was not willing any pressure. He was going to save the world. Abraham, that through your descendants all the peoples of the world shall be led. Was Abraham a Jew? No. no. He was a Chaldean. He wasn't a Jew. There weren't any Jews until they came out of Egypt. Then they were the Himrabi, the Hebrews. Then they became the Jews, right? But, but God promised that through all of his, his descendants, that through Abraham and his seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The world. Now, look at Acts 3. Is that to go there? Acts 3. He says, uh, he's, he's telling them what they've done. He's so bold, bold as a lion, right? This very same people that crucified Christ, that put Christ to death. Peter's boldly proclaiming the truth. Verse 15, he says, uh, and you killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are a witness in his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, the man who's healed, whom you see and know. Yes, faith which comes through him, 
has given this man perfect soundness in the presence of y'all, that Jesus healed him, the lame man. Now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets, that the Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Okay, God said the Messiah would suffer. He would die for the sins of the world, and so he did. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, etc. But look what he says here. Now, if Israel had repented and received Jesus, repent. This is Peter's message to Israel now. Remember, this is not the church yet. You, you, don't, you don't have the Gentile believers coming in until around chapter 9. Chapter 3, verse 19, Repent therefore and, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. Wow, what's he saying there? Over. Jesus would have returned from heaven. They would have said, Blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord. He would have established his millennial kingdom. And who would have entered in? Just those Jews. Just those Jews. So that's why he, you understand? You with me? That's why he purposed this rejection for the salvation of the rest of the world. That's exactly what he's saying here in chapter 11 of Romans. I say then, verse 11, chapter 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? No, certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are... Um, are my flesh, and save some of them. I know that God has called me now to preach to the Gentiles. As much as my heart is for the Jew, I've, I've been called to go to the Gentiles. And I'm hoping that now through the salvation of some of these Gentiles, you'll bring some of my brethren to jealousy, and they'll come to faith too. And it did happen. Hmm? Isn't it always amazing when you meet a Jewish person and they're amazed at how much you know about Israel and the Old Testament? Well, that's you. That's 2% of the church today. The majority of the church, only 2% of the church teach on the Israelology of the Bible and Bible prophecy. 2%. I hope, I hope you're all as glad as I am to be here. I didn't choose to be here. He brought me here. But he brought us all here. And I, and I hope you can appreciate what God has done. Verse 15, for if their being cast away is reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Wow. What is he saying there? If Israel's rejection has brought such blessing to us, and Paul would say we have such a debt of love we owe to the Jewish people. for the You know, we have a Jewish Messiah, Jewish scriptures. It's going to be a Jewish wedding. I'm a Jewish bride. I have a Jewish bridegroom. Such a debt of love, I owe them, right? Now, now if their rejection, their, their rejection of their own Messiah has brought such blessing to me, what is it gonna, what's it going to do when, when they come to a place where they all surrender to Jesus? Heaven and all, as one coming back. Remember I talked about that last week? As one coming, how many of you lost somebody you love so dearly in, in death? How many? What, now, wait a minute. What, tell me what would happen if they walked through that door right now. No, no, come on. 
You'd be out of your mind with joy. Wouldn't you? When Jesus resurrected, he didn't resurrect alone, did he? Who else resurrected? People all over the city of Jerusalem. So they're dead, raised from the dead. Wow. No, he's, he's saying that the, 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 when Israel returns to Jesus, their Messiah, and accepts him for who he is, when they look upon him whom they have pierced and mourned, when Zechariah 12 is fulfilled, the spirit of supplication, the spirit of grace falls upon them. God purposes it. It's going to be like, like coming back from the dead. You, it's, we can't even comprehend the blessing we're going to receive when that takes place. Wow. All the peace in this world. You know, how, how many Ukrainians have lost their life so far? I'm not talking about those who have been wounded, just those who have lost their life. you have any idea what the number is? How much? How many? Huh? How, many how many Ukrainians have died so far? 650,000 is the estimate. They're running out of men. They're forcing NATO nations to send back the men who've tried to flee the war. Because they're running out of men. They're, they got, they're taking men my age, right? 52, no. <laughs> 72. And if they're healthy and they're strong, they're, they're using them in the armies, in the service. They're, they're running out of bodies. You know, we keep giving them munitions, but, but they're running out of men to use them. Unbelievable. Now, that's just, that's just this conflict. How many Russians were killed in World War II? 20 million. How many, how many people have been killed in the wars in this world? We can't even imagine. When Israel is restored back to their Messiah, peace, times of refreshing and the restoration of all things, Peter said. The whole world is going to be back, restored to paradise, in union with the, the wolf will lie down with the children or play with vipers and never be bit. I mean, just there's going to be such peace and harmony. The whole world will be safe. It's not a safe place today, is it? Some of the major cities in the United States are more dangerous than being in Kabul, Afghanistan. Isn't that crazy? Life coming back from the dead. For if, verse 16, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. Now he's talking about, the, you know, at the Pentecost, they had the grain offering, right? And that's what he's talking about. You would offer the first fruits of your harvest in the grain offering to the Lord. Now that first fruits offering was holy, and therefore the whole rest of the harvest was, that's what he's saying. Now, Pentecost is very interesting because he offered two loaves. Two loaves are offered to the Lord. And what was unique about this grain offering? They had leaven. What's leaven? Sin. Why two? When Pentecost had fully come. Wow, wow, wow. We can't go into that right now. But amazing. Just amazing. As you get into the Jewishness of the scriptures, the understanding of Israel is just amazing. But as we talk about here, the, the, the grain offering, that first fruits offering, the whole harvest was holy, holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, he's talking about the root of this tree, this olive tree. The olive tree speaks of Israel, right? Who's the root of the tree? Who? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the fathers. The fathers are all the root of the tree, and the branches are the Jewish people. 
You know, the 12 tribes and all their descendants. That's the branches of the tree. Okay, that's what he's talking about here. Because the root is holy, the branches are holy. But what did he have to do to some of those branches? He had to break them off. He had to break them off. They weren't producing any fruit for God. Now, if some of the branches, verse 17, were broken off, and you being a wild, wild, wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. Now, what is he saying there? This, this, this replacement theology, this anti-Semitism of today, it's insane. Are you out of your mind? The root of the ball of the tree are the fathers of Israel. The branches are Israel itself. But some of the natural branches had to be broken up because they weren't producing any fruit. They were, what do you call those, those, those stems, those branches on the tomato plant? You have to cut them up and take them off? Sucker plants. You call it sucker vines. Suckers, right? Because they're sucking life out of the vine, but they're not producing any fruit. And that's what God is doing in Israel, breaking off the natural branch because they weren't producing any fruit for God, but grafting in a wild olive tree branch. Who's the wild olive tree? <laughs> yeah. That's us. Now, what are we grafted into? The root. Israel, Right? We we don't replace Israel. No, we're grafted in by faith, by the same faith of Abraham. We become the seed of Abraham, right? Descendants of Abraham. Galatians six says, "You're the Israel. You're the Israel of God." Now, don't misinterpret. I listen to these commentators. No, no, he's talking about Israel. No, 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 no. The whole text. When he says to the Galatians, "Who has bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, are you not going to perfect yourself in the flesh?" Who's he talking to? Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles, of course. Of course, the whole book is written to Gentiles. And, and then these commentators who don't want to embrace the fact that we're grafted in and we become the Israel of God in a spiritual sense of the seed of Abraham by faith, okay? Say, no, no, he's speaking of Israel, the Jews, believing Jews. No, impossible, because the whole text, the whole epistle that Paul's writing is to the Galatian Gentile believers who are trying to win acceptance before God by being circumcised and obeying the law of Moses plus Jesus. Plus Jesus is no good at all, right? It's Jesus alone plus nothing. And if you add anything to the cross of Christ for the purposes of your salvation, Paul says twice, let him be accursed, an anathema. You're not saved. If there's anything else you add to bring about your salvation other than the cross of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ alone, you're not saved. Impossible. That's what he's saying there. But here we go. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Will you say branches are broken off that I might be grafted in? Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who, who fell severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. If you were cut out of the olive tree, which was wild by nature, and were grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are a natural branch be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Now, think about some of the Messianic Jews that you know today, and wow, what a blessing they are. And, and so easily have come to an understanding. And, and for me personally, 
I am so thankful that when I first got saved, I was exposed to Messianic believers and teachers like Zola Levitt and, and, and others who brought me to an understanding of the Israelology of the Bible. Uh, the fact that, that Christianity is the completion, the fulfillment of all of ancient Hebraism and modern Judaism. We're not separated from, you understand? And you will be called the Israel of God in heaven. It's wonderful. But you think about some of these messianic believers today and what a blessing they are to us and how much it is so fluid, so, so smooth, and so easy to understand their understanding and their, their exposition of the scriptures. Is that not true? Can you name some? Amir Safadi. Amir Safadi. Yeah, he's one. Jonathan Khan. I mean, it's just amazing, right? And these natural branches that have been grafted back in. And God is going to graft back in. The nation of all Israel shall be saved. Not every Jew, but Israel as a nation, once again, will be fulfilling the purpose for which God brought them to be, to be a blessing to the world. Verse 25, I do not desire you, ignorant brethren. No, that's not what it says. It says, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant concerning this mystery. At least you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. Now, he talked previously of the fullness of Israel, right? And now he's talking about the fullness of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles will bring Israel to the fullness of Israel once again. What's the fullness of the Gentiles? The church age is over. This, this church age is just about over. The clock is running down, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I believe the church age is just about complete. And when that last believer says, yes, I do, Lord. And then, and then unlike today, today predominantly the Holy Spirit is working upon the Gentile world, but not so much in the Jewish world. But it'll be just the opposite in that day where the Holy Spirit will be 144,000 Apostle Pauls running around Israel, bearing witness. Unbelievable. And the Holy Spirit will be saving Jews in mass. Not so much with Gentiles, but more with, with the Jewish. And, and who, who are the ones that predominantly populate the world during the millennium? Jews. Jews. Believing Jews. Yeah. So don't be ignorant of this mystery. That you should be wise in your own opinion, full of pride, blinded in part. Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles. And so Israel shall be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. For this is his covenant with them. When I take away their sins, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Yes, they, they rejected God's men responsibility. God held them responsible. Salvation went to the Gentiles. But he hasn't rejected them completely. He's going to restore them. God's sovereign election in Israel will bring them back for the sake of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those promises that he made unilaterally. Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Aren't you glad? I am so thankful. What is the greatest gift we received? What's the greatest gift you received? Salvation. And what does he say? You can't lose it. Isn't that a blessing? And therefore, how shall we then live? Taking advantage to see how much we can get away with? Or how much can I serve the Lord? How much can I sacrifice the Lord? How much of my life can I give to the Lord? When you really understand all that he's done for us. I was speaking to John Michael earlier before the service. Uh, not that John Michael, that John Michael. But we were talking about once in a while you get a little down. Anybody ever get down? 
Now, don't tell your doctor that. You know, no, no, no. You know, I had to go for my wellness physical and all these questions about what kind of a mental state I'm in. You know. And then he wanted to know a race. I love it. Human. No, no, no. What ra- human. Human. It's one race of people. Human. That's what I am. <laughs> but there are aliens. <laughs> but not what you think. <laughs> uh, but anyway, do we get depressed? You know what I do when I'm depressed? I read the first three chapters of Ephesians. Wow. It's all about what he has done. Nothing I've done, but all that he, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have done on my behalf. And I get done reading that. And if I really read and pay attention, oh my, I can't have a bad day. It's impossible. Impossible. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts of the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they may also obtain mercy. Isn't that amazing? For God has committed them to, what does that mean, committed? God bless you. You got a note? You got a study note? Yeah, he purposed. What does that mean? He committed them. He shut them up. He locked them up in disobedience. Look at that. It's amazing. For God has committed, predetermined, predestined them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Wow. Why? Because if Israel accepted their Messiah, then the Jews alone would be saved. The rest of the world would be damned. But he wants to save the world. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it should not be repaid? For of him and through him and to him are all things to him. Be glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Wow. God owes you nothing. You owe God everything. Everything. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for all that you have done, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you for so great a salvation that we have been rescued from your wrath, Lord, and now we're the object of your perfect love. And your calling in our life is irrevocable. And Lord, we are confident, yes, very confident that you will complete the work you've begun in each of us until the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that you have privileged us to become part of the remnant, Lord. And help us in response to that now to live for your glory. Show us our calling, Lord. And may each of us enter into that work that you have us to do, not because, not for salvation, but because of our salvation, Lord. Let us work tirelessly for you. In Jesus' holy and precious name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.